Hello, this is Grant Francis, and welcome to another episode of Grant Francis Does a Podcast. I am still working on a title for this. This episode is a Mayflower Meets, and indeed we will meet another star, another performer from the Mayflower Theatre in Southampton. This podcast is produced by The Useful Media Company. And as always, please do follow, like and subscribe. Search for Grant Francis UK in all of your social feeds. Coming to the Mayflower Theatre from the 4th of July 2023 is the National Theatre production, The Ocean at the End of the Lane. This is the National Theatre at its very best. From the imagination of Neil Gaiman, the best-selling author of Coraline, Good Omens and The Sandman, now a major Netflix series, comes the National Theatre's major new stage adaptation of The Ocean at the End of the Lane. This five-star spectacular from the producers of War Horse, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, it's a thrilling adventure of fantasy, myth and friendship, taking audiences on an epic journey to a childhood once forgotten and the darkness that lurks at the very edge of it. Returning to his childhood home, a man finds himself standing beside the pond of the old Sussex farmhouse where he used to play. He's transported to his 12th birthday when his remarkable friend Letty claimed it wasn't a pond, but an ocean, a place where anything and everything is possible. Plunged into a magical world, their survival depends on their ability to reckon with ancient forces that threaten to destroy everything around them. I like stories. Peter Pan? Alice in Wonderland? Nothing looks like what it is on the inside. What makes you who you are? Your face or what you do? There's things what lurk out there. Can you be brave? This, it isn't pretend, it is real. All of it was dreamed into existence. ever be like it was before. The show really is quite epic and joining me now from the National Theatre is Joe Rawlinson Hunt. Joe, what a show to be involved with. Uh, yeah. the, 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 the trailer gets you on the edge of your seat. Is it like that all the way through? Tell me about the performance. It's basically a show um, that involves a man that you see at the very start in a I suppose quite a solemn setting. He's at a funeral um, and he's then reminisced and brought back in time by um, an ancient being called old, old Mrs. Hempstock. So it sees the man return to his childhood home uh, where he finds himself standing beside a, um, a duck pond, in inverted commas, on an old Sussex farmhouse where he used to play. Um, and he is reminded of a few things by old Mrs. Hempstock, and then he's transported back in time, in his mind, back to his 12th birthday, where he meets the uh, remarkable little girl, little girl, um, or his friend, Letty Hempstock, um, who claims that what he's standing in front of isn't in fact a duck pond, but it's an ocean. And it's a place where anything and everything is possible. Obviously, he's he, he's got his doubts and it's, you know, to him, that sounds crazy. But he's plunged into this magical world um, 
and basically in short their survival it depends on the ability for them to reckon with the ancient forces that are brought to life by this duck pond or ocean uh, that threaten to destroy everything that they know around them so it's yeah it's a, it's a combination of a, a terrifying story that brings the imagination from um you know neil gaiman into the world for a lot of teenagers and young people to to, to get back into theater so it's got a bit of everything it's got a bit of magic it's got some sadness it's got happiness it'll make you cry it'll make you laugh it'll make you jump um so yeah it just it captures this amazing magical world it seems that, like one of those big movies uh, stories and productions but brought to the stage by the national theater yeah yeah absolutely it's it's exactly that. So if you can imagine, I shouldn't be name dropping all these things, but if you can imagine bits of things like the magic from Harry Potter and the, the way that you're, you, you sit and marvel at the screen when you watch that, it's basically things like that put onto the stage. So it's got some, some illusions that will blow your mind. And I mean blow your mind. There's some crazy stuff that the audience will see. You'll hear screams and stuff as this is all going on. Um, so it's basically a film plonked onto the stage and put an audience in front of it's it's incredible it's now, an amazing thing to be part of you say it's a great way to get young people and um young adults alike involved yeah. and interested in theater again is it only aimed at you know late teens early 20s or no 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 absolutely not it's aimed at everyone but i think what this show really does well is um it's it's got it's a great opportunity to reach new audiences because it's it's all the stuff in films that teenagers and young adults like to see you know, it's the stuff that get, that traps them and makes them come back for more. But it's one of the first times this has been uh, thrown at the theatre. So normally this is the kind of stuff you would see on TV and film. But, but you I can think, see it up close and personal and actually a real person right there in front of you. Exactly. So all of a sudden, you know, you've got all these things going on in front of you that you'd never get to see on stage. A real testament to the power and magic of theatre. Absolutely. Yeah, it is the epitome of all things theatre, this. It's, it's incredible. There's lots of moments of symbolism through the performance itself, like doorways, which is kind of a gateway to another world, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. See, I, I, I don't want to say too much about these things, yeah. uh, Grant, but yeah, there are, there are doorways into another realm and there's some symbolic references to doorways in, in the show which is one of the moments that, without saying too much at all, doorways, in fact, for your audience, when you, when you come to see this show in uh, Southampton, have doorways in your mind. And then at some point during the show, your mind shall be blown completely to pieces. That's a promise. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll keep on that. Just a little bit yeah. about you yourself. I mean, you're a voice artist. You've, you've done work for television. Uh, you're now on stage uh, with this fantastic performance. Where did it all begin f for you? Where did the bug for theatre bite? The theatre bug bit me when I was at school. So when I was in uh, secondary school many, many years ago. Uh, I'm, I'm now 44 and I, uh, I got, into, got into acting at a young age and I stopped actually, I stopped acting for about 10, 15 years, ended up working in regional management for some big companies. Um, and I, I suppose a long story short, because I could elaborate on this for hours, I was at Glastonbury Festival uh, with one of my good friends who brought along one of his wife's 
best friend's husband. Bam, there we go. Uh, his name was David Thaxton. He is a West End superstar, Olivier Award winning actor. And um, he was running a, a course, a one-off course uh, by a company called W1 Productions, which he ran with his wife, Nancy Sullivan. Um, and I had to audition for this one year course and I managed to get a spot on it, which I wasn't expecting because, you know, I'd been out of the industry for so long. Anyway, they offered me this placement. I was in quite a high rolling job at the time. Um, and you know, my family and my wife and my child was sort of relying on me to continue doing that. And I went home and told them that I'd been accepted on this spot. It was a part-time course. And my wife convinced me, um, to remortgage my house, our house take some money out. I'm not suggesting anyone in your listeners do this, by the way, massive gamble. Um, take some money, some collateral, quit my job and pursue my acting career again, because it was all I wanted to do. I was missing it every day for years and years. I was seeing friends and people around me that were still doing it. And I wasn't. And um, yeah, there was just like a, a jealousy or a bug inside that made me want to come back to do it. So she convinced us to do it. Um, Luckily, my job kept me part time. So I worked three days a week doing this course for a year in London. I stayed working three days a week. Um, and yeah, I worked hard. And, and then obviously COVID hit as soon as I finished. So I was sitting there thinking, oh, my God, I've just quit, you know, a great job to pursue another great job. And nothing's going on. So I had nothing coming in. So I started voiceover during lockdown and became quite successful there and was luckily ticking along you know, and actually paying the bills by doing voiceover. So it's one thing I wish I'd done when I was a lot younger. Um, and it ended up working for some massive clients there. So Pret and Bosch, some TV adverts, and ended up doing a job for Marvel, um, which I'm, it's, it's NDA'd to pieces, so I can't talk about that. But um, <laughs> um, And then luckily I, I landed my first, coming back into the industry, my first job with the National Theatre, which was The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, which I toured with last year. Uh, across the country, similarly to what we're doing here with Ocean at the End of the Lane. And um, yeah, my second job, uh, obviously, after a number of auditions, was back in with, with the, the National Theatre on this spectacular piece. We, so it's been a whirlwind, to say the least. It has been a whirlwind. It's a, it's, it's a late beginning to a great career. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably helped in some ways because... I think one of the reasons I stopped doing what I was doing when I was younger is because it was such a saturated market of, of actors and people desperate. I was in the musical theater world and it's, it's even more saturated, I guess. That's probably the wrong word, but there's a lot of people that are very, very good at it. So the competition's fierce. Um, and I think helping, you know, coming back in at my age, in my forties, has given me a different edge, you know, cause a lot of people are either leaving the industry or coming back to it or whatever. So me coming in at this age has probably helped, um, you know, playing the roles of dad. Mental health is, uh, is, is a big thing in the news and across socials at the moment. Yeah. How has this huge career change, going from something that was stable and uh, reliable to probably the most unreliable career on the planet, yeah. but also one of the most rewarding how has that played on on you as a person, do you think? I'm not going to lie, it has been tough. There have been some, if you'd like to call them, darker moments where you just think, oh, my God, what have I actually done here? Why have I quit this? Why have I, you know, looking, without it sounding too cheesy, looking your son in the eye and going, oh, you know, this will work, I'll make sure. There's There's been some some real 
darker moments because you never know what your next job is. That's the thing in the acting industry. You, you, you can try your hardest to set the next thing up and you'll always audition. And if you've got a good agent, which I do, your, your agent will always set things up in anticipation for that next job. But it, nothing's guaranteed. Same in anything. But I suppose with this, you know, you can go through huge phases without work. And there's that whole premise in your mind of you're as good as your last job. And that, that's really quite a, a thing that I think flows in this industry or the music industry. You know, people will say, what was your last job? And if it wasn't of high prestige, people are like, mm, okay. You know, so yeah. uh, I've had my moments of darkness. And just before landing Curious, I wasn't working. So everything, you know, um, my savings were depleting and we were running out of money and, you know, all that kind of usual stuff. But there was no stability. And then again, finishing that job, coming into this, there was a few months where, you know, I'd been auditioning and nothing was landing. And I obviously I had the voiceover thing, which was ticking along, but it was sort of scraping the barrel. I was running out of money, then earning enough in voiceover to just about pay my part of, you know, the mortgage and everything like that. Um, but when we're doing this job, Grant, I can't tell you, it's the, I can genuinely say, and I think you'll be the same because you're in, you're in, a, you're in a similar industry. It is the greatest job in the world. And we, you don't take that for granted when you're doing it. You know, when you're when you see the audience or you hear the audience's reaction at the end of the evening or the end of the show, it's just bonkers because you've created that. You've made them feel the way they feel. And there's nothing like it. Nothing. And I think theatre uh, has more of a hand in that than television and film ever could because it's live and it's created specially that for that one performance. Every performance what, is different and every performance is so personal. Exactly. And there might be little nuances that are found in each performance that an audience member might laugh at or, or not, or be upset by or not. And, and you're creating that. And although there's a, you know, there is a, there is a script that flows, but you find these little things and over the course of a tour, these things develop more and more. And it's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And of course there's working with other cast members as well. Uh, and to create that, 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 that family on stage, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's some real strong bonds on stage. You've got the family of the Hempstocks, the ancient um, the beings. So the scenes between those. Oh, Mrs. Hempstock sounds properly scary. Let's, I'm, I'm not going to lie. You wouldn't mess with Mrs. Hempstock, old Mrs. Hempstock. You wouldn't call her Mrs. Hempstock either. She'll have something to say about that. It's old Mrs. Hempstock. <laughs> old Mrs. I'm sure she would. Get the she name was there right. First. Yeah. She was there first. So um, she's adamant that you call her that. But yeah, you don't mess with her. No one does. You mentioned COVID earlier, and I know it was it was so long ago now, but I recently spoke to Darren Lee, who's performing in The King and I uh, across the UK tour. And he told us about his COVID experiences and working with young actors over Zoom, like we're communicating now, and, and how uh, performance changed during that time. And mm -hmm. you, you said you just finished your uh, training on this course, then all of a sudden you're into a world where there is no such thing as acting, there's no such thing as performance, everyone is locked away. How did you get through that, that whole period of time? Um, see, I, I can't speak on behalf of you know, a lot of my peers and colleagues and people that were in the industry and had it taken away from them because 
I, I wasn't technically in that industry and had it taken off of me. I just came into the industry as that began. So I don't, I can't say that I had the same feelings as some of my peers because that must've been terrible for them in particular. Um, I had nothing to compare it to at that point because I hadn't earned from, from the industry and lost from the industry as a result, because you know, there was no furlough for a lot of these people. There was no money dished out to people in the industry in that way. I think that's what people forgot during the whole um, lockdown process and the furlough thing is that a lot of, well, all performers are self-employed and you're yeah. self-employed as a small business. Radio presenters yeah. are self-employed. And although radio is slightly different and you know, podcasting is slightly different because you are on your own, you're not in a, in a, in, in a big space and you, you can do your thing from home. Yeah. But, there was no furlough for self-employed people. No furlough. And there was also no set rule about going to the theatre. It was advised that it, it wasn't a good idea at the start. So insurances didn't kick in for theatres and, you know, people were scared to go out. And then all of a sudden there was the the number cap on people that were allowed in a building. So a, as a result of that, theatres couldn't operate on the amount of, you know, I saw ticket- a- I saw a show just after lockdown finished and it was the oddest sensation. Everything was blocked off and chairs had tape on them. And it was just very odd that you'd sit with the person that you were going to the theater with. And then there was somebody else three, like four chairs away. It was just the strangest sensation of of sat there watching the show. And it must've been bizarre for the performers on stage looking out at, you know, the first three rows of nothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then seeing, you know, you wouldn't see reactions either because you just have a mask. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Just the eyes going, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) What's it like to be on tour with the National Theatre? They are such a huge force. Oh, yeah. In worldwide performance. Absolutely, yeah, the pioneer. Um, Incredible, you know, we're looked after very well. Um, The budget for this show obviously is a a Royal National Theatre budget that goes with it, which allows us to give this huge message out to to audiences. It's the best. It's the best. You know, um, it's tough on tour. Don't get me wrong. It's quite tough. It's we do eight shows every week, uh, two most days. We get a day off and then we travel on another day to the next city. So it's it's quite a tough. I want to say grueling. It's not grueling because it's the best job in the world, but it's, you know, we get one day off and then we travel to the next city and we settle in and we start the show again and then we stop and move on again. So it's, you know, at the moment we're in Nottingham, we've got two weeks here. So the second week in a two week city is actually a little bit more chilled out because you get a bit more time during the days. Um, but again, I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. It's, you know, it's a dream company to work for. Um, it's a dream production to be in. And uh, yeah, what has your best friend said about the performance? The inside scoop. My best friend hasn't actually been to see the no, show. No, really? <laughs> he lives in Mallorca and he, oh. he, hasn't, he hasn't made it, but he's coming over at the end of the year. So hopefully I'm going to get him down to see it. Okay. Oh, I chose the wrong kind of phrase. There. I was trying to get like, somebody close Somebody close to you. What, what have they said? You know said? what? I, I've, I've had some very, very close friends come to see it, and I would actually probably call them best friends as well. But um, they came to see me. I was lucky enough to go on. I'm an off-stage understudy, technically. So I, I, I cover the role of dad uh, or Mick, and um, I was lucky enough to go on for five shows on the trot in Birmingham at the Alexandra, and I had a lot of friends and family come up there. And, yeah, they loved it. 
they loved the show and not just because they saw me in it obviously not but um for what they saw you know the spectacle of the show they wasn't expecting it and some of these people are in the industry as well so i had a friend paul um he's just um finished covering the role of henry higgins in my fair lady on tour yeah so he came along to see it and you know blew his mind in the same way so it doesn't matter if you're a seasoned actor or you you've got nothing to do with the industry whatsoever when you come to see the show it will change the way you see theater an absolute guarantee all right we'll finish on a challenge then you need Go to sell this to somebody that's dubious about going to the theater thinks it's a bit airy fairy whatever but mm-hmm. sell it in just five words how would you sell this show in five words five words that's two damn that's five all oh, right i've done it um five words <laughs> Magical. That's one. Superpowered. That's three. Terrifying. Four. Beautiful. Five. What a, what a perfect way to describe it. Uh, it's been absolutely brilliant to speak to you uh, here, both on the podcast yeah. and on the radio. And um, break a leg for the rest of the show's tour. Just to let you know, we are coming back. So after this tour finishes in the Lowry, so we started at the Lowry, we finish at the Lowry, we're finishing on the 7th of October. We're then going to be transferring back into the West End. So from the 11th of October to the 25th of October, we're transferring into the Noel Coward Theatre in the West End. Brilliant. It's been great to talk to you, Joe. Thank you very much. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. The Ocean at the End of the Lane is on tour across the UK and you can see it at the Mayflower Theatre from the 4th to the 8th of July 2023. As always, please like, follow and subscribe to Grant Francis UK and search for Grant Francis in all of your usual podcast places. This podcast was a useful media company production. See you next time.